You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening and welcome to Exodus 5, Parshat Yitro, and we are at part two, a more in-depth look at the Parsha. And tonight we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, a number of years ago, there were some very uh, high-profile court cases that went to the Supreme Court about having the Ten Commandments displayed in public spaces in the United States. And the rulings that eventually were given were that even though there's a separation of church and state, and even though one cannot uh, promote religion in public spaces, the Ten Commandments are fundamental moral principles as a foundation of society, even beyond their religious significance, and it was permitted. Now, there's an interesting question about the Ten Commandments, that are these Ten Commandments, and they're the ones that were spoken by God at Mount Sinai to the Jewish people, they're the ones inscribed on the tablets, are they more important or more central to Judaism than the other commandments. After all, there are 613 commandments. Are these the main ones? And it used to be that uh, they were read in part of the service. That was discontinued with Christianity because the Christians said, these are the only ones you need to do. And so it was removed. But yet we will see that there are fundamental principles being conveyed through the Ten Commandments. And yet... The rabbis say that be careful with the minor commandments or lighter ones as well as the heavy ones because you don't know the significance of them and which are are, um, most primary. And so we have to do them all with equal attention. Now, I'm not usually a numbers guy, but there's an interesting gematria. Each Hebrew letter corresponds to a number. A is one, B is two. So if you take the name of the parsha Yitro, um, take the last three letters of his name. And that numerical value, the tough is 400, Rash is 200, Vav is 6, that's 606 plus the seven Noahide commandments. Uh, Yitro was a righteous Gentile. He was already a monotheist, according to the Talmud. And that makes 613. And what's left? The Yud at the beginning, which is 10, the 10 commandments which were placed in the Parsha, named after him. And by the way, Ruth, who was also a righteous non-Jew who converted to the Jewish people and whose story we also read on the holiday of Shavuot, the holiday commemorating the giving of the Torah, the same letters in Ruth are Yitro, uh, were flipped around. And so uh, we mentioned already, there is a universal message to highlighting converts on the holiday of the giving of the Torah and around the Ten Commandments. And in fact, it's very telling that the Ten Commandments have come to be recognized as a uni- one of the most uni- important documents of the foundations of morality for the Western world and ultimately for the entire world. So let's look at a closer look at them. You look at the Ten Commandments, the first five, believe in God, don't have others, don't take God's name in vain, keep the Shabbat, honoring one's parents, 
We're told the first five are the commandments between God and man, uh, cementing our relationship to the Almighty. And the second set, murder, adultery, stealing, false witness, and coveting, are between man and man. And so there's a very clear message here, which is that we need both of these sides of the commandments and very telling that they were given in two tablets. They had two are different modalities, but yet each one is needed for the other. Because if you just have a relationship to God, but you don't have relationship to other human beings, so we're told that uh, a person who behaves that way is uh, not going in the ways of pleasantness, and those are God's ways. Just like God is mercy, we should be merciful. So we should embody the same qualities towards other people as the Almighty does, which is God's greatest quality is giving, chesed. The world is built upon generosity and giving, so we have to embody that. And so you cannot have a relationship with God without having the proper relationship to other people. And similarly, there are those who would want to say that, well, we're humanitarians. We don't need belief in God to act properly towards other people. And unfortunately, we've seen often in the history of mankind where God was pushed out of the picture, terrible things happening, when man says, we can be the measure of morality. Because if God isn't in the picture, then it's only up to man. And man can have different uh, vicissitudes, different opinions, be biased, and uh, justify terrible atrocities. Well, you could say, okay, well, the principle will be don't hurt, do anything as long as it doesn't hurt other people. But that's not true. We know you're not allowed to scream uh, um, uh, in, a, in a theater and uh, to cause panic. So uh, in the United States, there's a big debate with free speech and how it impacts others. But is there ever an act that doesn't impact others? If we would say that, but yet at the same time, there, there are times where we have to do things that hurt the other people. If someone's going to murder, we take them down first. So that does hurt other people. So which situations are we allowed to? Which are we not? It's much more complicated uh, than simply saying, well, don't do anything that won't hurt another person. So uh, we have these two relationships between man and God and between man and man, and both are fundamental for Judaism. Some people say, well, is it better to be a religious person if you're not treating other people well? Isn't it better to be a non-religious person who treats other people well? And it's not one or the other. The Torah is telling us, really, we need both. Okay, so let's look at them. What's so very interesting is that if you look at the two sets, conceptually, there is a link between the two. Uh, The first one is belief in God and don't murder. And once again, notice it doesn't say don't kill, it says don't murder, because there are times where we have to kill. So what is the common thread? Why are we not allowed to murder someone else? So in Judaism, it's not just because, well, if everyone went around murdering, first of all, I'd be in danger, and you wouldn't have a society. 
because um, once again, there are times where people have to be uh, hurt uh, for the greater good of society, defending one's country in a war. So the fundamental principle is that absolute, Judaism believes in the absolute value of human life because man is created in the image of God. And so you have the correspondence between belief in God and the value of human life. The second category is don't uh, have any other gods. And between man and man, it's do not commit adultery, which is uh, both are the fundamental principle of faithfulness and of um, dedication, exclusive dedication. The third one is not taking God's name in vain and not lying. So the commandment of not lying is actually in a court of law. And um, sorry, the, that corresponds to the commandment of not stealing, uh, not taking God's name in vain and not stealing. So what is the correspondent there? So when you take God's name in vain, for instance, you're not allowed to say, oh my gee, why? Because then when you do say God's name in the context of prayer or something important, it'll have less impact. It'll have less gravitas. Uh, just like you don't call um, you know, someone who is more senior by their first name, call them by their last name. So you don't, you're not cavalier about it. So here too, in a sense, using God's name in vain is a form of stealing. You're stealing from the importance that we give to the Almighty. And uh, also, this is why we use the term Hashem, because we're not using God's name, yud ke vav the four-letter name of God, because that is reserved for prayer and for special situations. And um, so that's the correspondence between not stealing and not taking God's name in vain. The next one is not bearing false witness to other people in a court of law and the Shabbat. So the rabbis interestingly say that Shabbat is testimony to our belief in God creating the world. So uh, you have the common concept of uh, giving testimony and truthful testimony. And the last one, interestingly, does not correspond across. So why not? Uh, honoring one's father and mother and uh, not being jealous. So let's look at honoring one's father and mother first. So it's very surprising. What is this commandment doing on the right side of the tablets? It's not between man and God, or is it? So what's pointed out is that we call God our father in heaven and that our relationship to God is in a sense uh, formulated around our relationship to our parents. And we haven't worked out a relationship with our parents. It's very difficult to work out our relationship with the Almighty. A good friend just lost his father. He was 89 years old. And um, he said that uh, I was around him some 60-some years. And yet, uh, it wasn't till his last year when he was ill that we really got to work things out between us. So don't wait that long. And um, so 
Our relationship to our parents is a foundation for our relationship to authority and ultimately to the Almighty. Now, what is the significance of not coveting? So Maimonides says something fundamental. He points out that there's a progression here. The foundation of our relationship to other people is being happy with who we are and with what we have and with what the Almighty has given us and not desiring that which other people have. Because he says, if you covet someone else's uh, BMW, house, job, you name it, then you might come to cut corners and to steal to get it. And then you might steal the most fundamental uh, thing, which uh, uh, you might give false testimony in order to steal it. You might lie in order to get around things. And then you might steal the most important, precious thing you could steal, which is a person's spouse. And then you'll come to murder in order to get what you want. So Maimonides says that you start at the foundation of our relationship to other people and knowing our boundaries and acceptance and then respecting and not uh, pushing in on other people. So that's his understanding. So I'd like to now look at some of the individual commandments. And the first one is really the most puzzling and the most interesting as well. I am the Lord, your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. So there are many questions to ask on this statement. First of all, um, if God's going to introduce him or herself or itself, uh, what would you expect it to be? You'd expect it to be, I'm the Lord your God who created the heaven and the earth. That's how Genesis starts. So why does it present the, uh, the Exodus? Why does it talk about God taking us out? So once again, Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, the great uh, 12th century poet and philosopher in the Kuzari, his seminal work, point, his says that the foundation for our belief is not through science and nature and the intellect and philosophy, which Maimonides takes that route. He said it's experiential. We know God because God took out the Jewish people although that was 3,300 years ago, and we maybe we weren't there, even if it's written in the Torah. But it's a message that ultimately the foundation of belief comes from the experiences we have in our lives, seeing God's hand in our lives, feeling gratitude for God's blessings. And Rabbi Huda Levi says that that is the foundation for belief. And... Uh, uh, People sometimes ask me, you know, what is your founder? How did, how did you come to belief, uh, not having been brought up in a strongly religious environment? And I often share that for me, it was also experiences that happened in my life, which are the most powerful moments, which are the foundations of belief. So that's why God introduces himself as a God who took us out of Egypt. Now, I am the Lord your God. Is that a commandment? It's a statement. So the first thing to point out is that in the Torah itself, it doesn't talk about the Ten Commandments. Uh, it called, talks about the Asara Tadibrot, the Ten 
statements. So no one ever said this was a commandment necessarily. And there's some of the medieval sages who question this, who say, well, maybe this is not a commandment. It's a fundamental principle underlying all of the Torah. And there are a few others, by the way, that they say are not necessarily formulated as commandments. So maybe it's not a commandment. There's another problem with it being a commandment, which is that if I believe it's a commandment and I'm commanded to believe, the commandment only has validity if I believe. So it's a circular reasoning. I'm commanded to believe, but to believe the commandment, I need to already have belief. So, um, so how do we understand it? And furthermore, um, so Maimonides says that uh, the commandment is, uh, and he does say it is a commandment, and most of the medieval scholars do say it's a commandment, but he said the commandment is to work on our belief, so to speak, to constantly be deepening it, be questioning the world, seeing God in our lives, seeing God in nature, uh, understanding, know uh, why we believe, the foundations of our belief. And that itself is a mitzvah. So it's not a message commanding us to the agnostic that they have to believe. That's once again, circular reasoning. But for the person who already does come towards belief, it's a engaging in that belief. That's the way Maimonides understands it. Now, uh, the second commandment, not to have other gods. It says, don't make an image of anything under the heavens or the earth. And by the way, if you travel in many, some areas of the world, they would not want you to take a picture of them. Because um, in Muslim countries, particularly, they are very strict about this. And in a Whereas in a synagogue, you might see some human depictions and a synosky will won't even see a picture of anything uh, from nature. So the parameters according to the Torah are that we're not allowed to make a three-dimensional image of a form or an animal. And so what do sculptors do? So according to Judaism, you'd have to leave off one finger or make the sculpture imperfect. You cannot make a semblance. And of course, um, the concern was that it might be worshipped, as was very common in the ancient world and in some areas of the world today, worshipping uh, images, especially of human beings, bowing down in front of them, making, trying to make God concrete. But in doing so, uh, according to the Torah, one is, um, one is bringing God down to earth, and that is a very dangerous thing. So we bring God to earth through spiritual engagement in the physical, but not trying to make an image or a representation. The third one, not taking God's name in vain, we already mentioned, one does not say, oh my G, that is taking away from the uh, gravitas we give to our addressing the Almighty. And that is also why we say Hashem, or we write G-D, because we only want to use God's name in the context of prayer and holy books. And so if we do have a uh, book of Torah, we don't throw it out in the garbage. It is set aside and then buried. Um, 
out of respect. The third commandment, the Shabbat, is often viewed as the linchpin of all the commandments. Why? Because we say, you know, is this person Shomer Shabbat? And, and the Torah does see that as a benchmark of uh, a person being committed to Torah and commandments. Why is that the benchmark? Because we already mentioned the Shabbat is testimony to God creating the world. It also gives us a day of the week where we can dedicate to the Almighty. So the Shabbat is of central importance being there. Honoring one's father and mother, they say it's uh, one of the most important commandments and one of the most difficult ones. We've already talked about how it's a foundation for our relationship to the Almighty. Um, not murdering is uh, different than not killing, and Judaism believes in self-defense, certainly. Um, uh, and adultery is, as we mentioned before, uh, the worst kind of stealing one can do. Uh, stealing and adultery are breaking down the boundaries between us and uh, the portion, the world that God has given us. And there's an idea that if a person that did have trust in the Almighty, that we would recognize that what I have is my divinely given portion. And that comes down to the concept of uh, not being jealous and not coveting that which uh, my neighbor has. What is the difference between coveting and jealousy? Coveting is I want what they have. Jealousy is I want it and I want them not to have it. And so unfortunately, our society has created a whole industry of advertising in Madison Avenue to get us to desire things that maybe we don't really need or that someone else has, or that will make me think that I will be accepted in different social circles. I'll be viewed differently and better. And fundamental to the Torah is our uh, belief and our trust that what I have is what the Almighty has apportioned for me. And uh, that we each have a destiny and the Almighty gives us the tools to work out the growth, the path that we need to find in this world. So yes, we believe in making an effort, but we believe ultimately what we have is given to us by God. So if we believe that, we would not want what someone else has because we're not, it's not meant for us. It's not part of our destiny to have that. And so it's not wrong to want nice things. Uh, as long as they're not, we realize they're not the goal, but not because someone else has them and not create, making them into an ends in and of themselves. So Ten Commandments, foundation of principles of how to live in this world, how to have our relationship to the Almighty and our relationship to other people. Have a good evening and Shabbat Shalom.